Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. There's all sorts of technical things that are always happening. But in the middle of all of the things that are going on, distractions here, uh, we recognize that there's also things uh, in your own life, uh, distractions, things that are weighing upon you, things that are heavy. And the good news with all of this is that God is here. He sees us. He wants to help. And he actually knows exactly uh, what you need this morning. Uh, He knows what you need to hear. Uh, He knows what you need to do. And so when we gather as a church, this is actually something significant. We do so in his name. We do so really directed at him. And uh, my prayer this morning, and I ask you to really join me in this, is that God will really meet us here. And uh, like Garrett prayed and like Allie prayed, uh, we really do welcome him because when we gather in his name, he actually does a work uh, that is unique and is special for right now. And I want to talk uh, about something a little bit like this is the pre-sermon sermon, if you will. Is that okay? You know, you go to a movie theater and you kind of see the previews. I'm going to give you a little preview of uh, something really important. And I wanted to talk about groups for a moment. Uh, how many of you got a program? If you did, go ahead and hold that program up. Uh, this is more than just like a coaster, you know, where you just stick like a cup on. It's actually designed to give you helpful information. And inside that is a flyer about the marriage workshop, which Ali just mentioned. Also, uh, we have a flyer for groups. And I don't know personally if there's one major thing that you can do that could help you grow as much as being involved in a group. Uh, Here at Ridgeview, we're one group, we're a church, and we're connected to really all the churches in the world that are worshiping today. That's the universal church. But what you find is for you to really be able to grow and for me to be able to grow, we need to actually get to know people in smaller groups than just one big group. What happens in a big group is that you can see people, but sometimes it's hard to connect. Um, have you ever noticed sometimes the bigger the group, the more superficial the conversation? How are you doing? Great. How are you? Great. Glad we did that today. And then you come back next week and you do it again. Uh, that can happen at church too. We're busy. You may have kids in kids zone. You may be running and serving and doing all sorts of things, and it's hard to actually answer the question, how are you? But we need place in our life where we can actually answer that honestly where we have people who are asking that honestly, and we can talk about the scriptures together and look at how we can grow. And so groups are gonna be launching in one month, and today begins the sign-ups for these groups. Uh, We're calling them community groups. You can find uh, information uh, on that flyer. But these groups are a little bit different because we're actually going to be committing to each other to be in this group for 15 months. Uh, This is the longest group that we've ever done. The longest groups we've ever had before are 10 weeks. And what we found is in 10 weeks, you can get to know people, you can build trust, and it can be a help to you. But right at the point that you build that trust and you get the help, the group breaks up. Maybe that's not a good word, but the group changes. Okay, everybody, look look up. Let's just all do it at the same time. I can hear it. All right, thank you guys for taking care of that. Um, so these groups are longer-term groups to really give time for us to deepen and develop the relationships that we need to help us grow. Uh, These groups will also be a place where you can get help and you can get care. One of the questions people have is, how how do I know what to do in a church? How do I know the people to go to? How do I know how to get the help that I need? And our groups are designed to really give you that opportunity. And so I wanna invite you, starting today, to sign up. You can use that Church Center app. There's actually a tab at the bottom that has groups. You can sign up for a group. You can write it on your connection card, whatever's easiest for you. You can think about it. We know that there's schedules and everything that you have on your life, but I encourage you over the next few weeks to really take that decision seriously because I think it will really help you grow. And in this series, we're talking about being rooted and digging deep and standing strong. Well, being in a group with a people where you can talk about the scripture and truth and talk about your life and how God's word applies to it, that's one of the greatest ways that you can really dig deep with a group of people. So I encourage you, Consider, count the cost. It will cost you. It costs you time. It costs you energy. But I think it'd be a great investment for you over this next year. So that's that flyer. Check it out. You can sign up today. You'll have a few weeks to sign up. But I wanted to give you a heads up as we're excited to launch those. Uh, In the coming weeks, you'll get a chance to hear uh, from the group leaders uh, as well. So you can get to know them. But you'll see the options there uh, on the church center or in uh, the, the program on the flyer. So there's that pitch for that. Now, anyone have this with you this morning? You're like, what is that? Well, if you were here last week, we launched a new series called Rooted, and we're going through a study in Ephesians. 
And this is the Illuminated Scripture Journal that you can find on Amazon. I think it's about six bucks. And I encouraged everyone last week as a next step to buy this. If you're here and you're like, I didn't know about it, I'm unprepared. It's never too late. Amazon will take your money this week just like they will last week. Or any retailer, they will take it. So I want to encourage you, if you have bought this, uh, you can use this to take notes. It's the book of Ephesians as one book. And like I showed last week, it's got the verses on one side and blank on the other so you can take notes. Uh, This is designed for you to get into the scriptures on your own, outside of even just this time, to allow God to speak to you. And I encourage you, take notes. Even if you're not sure what to say, just write one word or underline. Do something that kind of allows you to interact with God's word. As you interact with God's word, it begins to actually get into your heart. It begins to make a difference and it can shift how you see things in your perspective. So the same next step as last week is the next step if you haven't taken it yet. Buy this. I think it will be a worthy investment, speaking of investment, and bring this with you uh, every week. And so we're gonna continue. Uh, Last week, we talked about being rooted in hope and we looked at Ephesians chapter one. Today, we're gonna start Ephesians chapter two, but I want to recap, if you missed it, where we've been so far. And so you'll see this on the the screen and you have uh, a listening guide in your program. On Church Center, you can also uh, find that as well. Ephesians one through three, chapters one through three, it's six chapters, but the first three chapters focuses on this. If you can go back to that real quick. Why we can dig deep and stand strong. So Ephesians chapter one through chapter three, are giving you the why. Why can you have a firm foundation of hope? Why can you have a firm foundation of grace and peace? Why can you do the things that God asks you to do? Why is it worth investing your time in the things of the kingdom of God? So Ephesians chapters one through three answers the why. And then Ephesians four through six gives us the what. Therefore, we can do these things. So over the course of this series, we're going to look at how being rooted in God and in the people of God together, the church, how God wants to do a unique work in us. But what's helpful for me, and I hope it's helpful for you, is that starting with the why gives meaning. You remember when you were young and your parents told you to do something? What did we always ask? Why? And as a parent, you never quite understood the pain of that question as a kid until you're a parent, right? And then what do you often say when a child answers that? Because, and if you're feeling a little fired up, because I, because I said my kids are actually, they have experience in this. Why? Because. Because why? Because I said, and as a kid, that's not very compelling, and you usually walk, I don't want to do that. Well, God is saying so in his word. But what he does is much more than just because. He provides context. He provides the motivation. He provides the blessings. He provides the promises. He doesn't want us to just settle it because he's God. Although that is true. God could say whatever he wants to say, and we should be held accountable to whatever it is because he is God. However, God is actually very faithful and loving and considerate and compassionate, and so he fills us with the why. He gives us a greater context for the life that he calls us to. And so that's a big part of Ephesians chapters one through three. And then Ephesians one, which we covered last week, is this summary, hope It was rooted to hope, but hope is found in the eternal blessings that have existed from the beginning of time, given by God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And a big part of that, where we ended last week, was we talked about that in the middle of these eternal blessings and everything that you have going on in your life and everything that I have going on in my life, that we would understand. And what Paul says, he's the author of this book, what Paul says is that our hearts would be enlightened that in the middle of the darkness and the haze and the confusion of this world, that we would get these things. We would get these blessings. And these blessings are his purpose for us and his plan. And also that we would understand the person of Jesus Christ. So that's a little bit of summary of where we've been. Now I wanna read, uh, if you have your journal, we're just kind of in the the beginning pages. 
But I want to read the end of Ephesians chapter 1, and I don't think it's up on the screen. So if you could just kind of bear bear with this, listen. In verse 19 of chapter 1, it says, uh, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So that we would understand this greatness, these blessings from the Father, from the Son, and from the Holy Spirit. That we would understand these things, the greatness of his power. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then it talks about the authority of Christ. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. If singing is kind of odd to you, anyone that like you come to church and singing feels a little odd, you don't even want to raise your hand, right? Because that's odd to admit the singing is odd. But it's true, like singing is like, you don't do that. Like, what, we're not at a concert. What's going on? Like, why would we do this? Sometimes you don't know the words. Like, I'm, I sang a verse ahead, and I'm like, ah, that's awkward, you know? And it's like, welcome to church, right? If you're new, you're like, these people are crazy. But the reason we sing is because there is one, Christ, whose name is above every name. And when you sing, you're saying, like, it is true. I'm going to lift that up. I'm going to sing to somebody. This is more than like just a song that you sing to somebody you love. This is a song that you are singing to the creator who made you. It's tied to the authority of Christ. So singing, it can feel foreign, but singing is actually this response of worship that Paul keeps getting at, that we would understand the immeasurable greatness to the point that we are filled with words of praise of God. And he goes on, this name that's above every name, not only in this age, but also in the one to come for eternity. 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So God is doing this great work. And where does he want to do it? In his church. With you and with me, as we're gathered in his name, there's a fullness of God in the church that doesn't exist anywhere else. Like his people gathering his name, there's a fullness that people can see. It's actually magnificent. It's, it's beautiful. It's overwhelming. It's even hard to understand because you sit, right, and you listen, and I sit, and I listen, and I ponder, and we have so much going on in our life that sometimes we just take for granted this moment in space and time where we're asking God to actually do something, maybe even supernatural among us where we can see things that we've never seen before and understand his word and actually live it out. Like if that could be what God does just in a small point today, this day's worth it, right? It's worth it. And that's what Paul's describing. So I wanted to set this up. That's where Ephesians 1 ends. So it's this beautiful promise, the greatness of God, the majesty of Christ, the authority over all, the church in which he does this special work. And then Paul brings us all to this screeching halt of the reality of who we are or who we were. And he talks about a great problem. And that's where I want to start today. And you'll see this, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to read it. And it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So imagine that transition. Christ, the greatness, he fills the church all in all. And then chapter 2, and you're dead. And you're dead. Wait, wait, like I was feeling really good. You know, like the role of like God, praise, majesty, authority, greatness, that our hearts would understand that we'd be enlightened and then you're dead. Interesting. We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse three, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So do you see the stark difference, chapter one to chapter two? Like if this was a genre of movie, the first part is this like hopeful adventure, and then chapter two is a horror movie. It's terrible. There's death, there's wrath, there's judgment. And God's word does that. It, it actually is trying to get your attention. 
It's trying to show you that there's some things going on that we really need to, to see, that we need to understand. And it's not always good. The reality of our situation and even our problems helps us understand God's plan and purposes. Sometimes you have to get to the real issues of life, to the real problems you have, the real problems I have, to be thankful for the solutions that God gives. And then it goes on. But God, very important, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Next slide. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So verses one through three, face to face with our problem. And then verses four through 10, we see that in the middle of the problem, in the middle of our issues, in the middle of everything we have going on in our life, God wants to do a work. And that work is tied to Ephesians chapter one, these promises and these blessings that he's prepared for us from eternity for forever. And the idea that Paul is trying to get us to is for us to realize the depths of our own issues, the depths even of our own sin, the depths of our own problems so that we could be that much more blown away by the grace of God. As I was sitting this morning, I was, I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed by my own sin. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but like where you just, you realize that you, you mess up a lot. And I think what Paul's trying to get at is like, I think so many of us, we always want to appear like we, we have it all together. There's a lot of pressure to perform in life. You may have grown up with parents that you always have to keep in line. You may have always lived with this like fear of pleasing them. Uh, you may have always lived in the fear of pleasing others. You've been in school and you just try to earn and earn and earn so, so you're accepted. In sports, it's like you're measured by your performance. And we live in a time our image and social media and our whole culture, you're measured by how you appear. And that's actually been from the beginning of time. And what overwhelmed me this morning as I was singing was the depths of my own sin. And I just want to tell you that because I think there is so much pretense in the church and in our world where we, we want to hide our problems. And I was just sitting there, and I'm singing this song, and I'm just like, you know, your grace is enough. But my sin is deep. It's infected me completely. And I'm selfish, and I'm arrogant. And I care what people think. And I have shame. And I have things that I regret, just like all of you. The reason I want to be honest is because I don't think we can fully understand the scriptures until we fully understand what God saved us from. And if you are not yet a follower of Christ, what Paul's describing in verses 1 through 3 is your reality right now. He's talking to the Ephesians who are followers of Christ. He's saying, this is who you were. I just want to encourage you, if you feel like that is you right now, you're, you're, you're caught in this death trap of life and you feel shriveled up and there's no hope, what Paul, and more importantly, what God is calling you to is to escape that, to escape that reality. So that's where we can have hope is because of the grace found in Jesus. I'm not even on my notes yet. It doesn't say cry and Bear all your soul to everyone. I'll add that next time. Let's talk a little bit about our, our deep problem. Um, the scripture's here, if you could put it up so people can follow along. Uh, and I'm going to read it from here. It says, And you, again, were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course 
of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what you're seeing, the scriptures, there's no one that is withheld from this statement, from this reality. Every single one of us, because it says the rest of mankind, we all fall unto this, this death. And this death is spiritual. When the scriptures talk about death and you're reading it in your life, you're like, what? I don't understand. What it's saying is God loves you. He created you. He made you for a purpose. But because of sin, we have detoured and gone away from him and his purposes. And what the scriptures say, sin has cut us off from God. We are dead spiritually. The life that he wants to give is cut off. And so what happens in this life is we can experience all these things, but in our soul and in our hearts and in our mind, the more fulfilled we get, the more accolades we achieve, the more cool we are, the more people praise us, there's still this part where like the spiritual life inside of us, our core, is dead. Like it's not enough. It doesn't fulfill us. It, it, it actually leaves us lacking. And that's why you see so many people that have an immeasurable amount of money and fame and fortune and their lives end early by drug abuse or taking their own life. And this isn't just the rich and wealthy. You see this throughout our world. So the scriptures is speaking to something we see. There's a spiritual deadness that is real in this world. And here's a chart where I want to just kind of summarize uh, the deep problem. Death, I've talked about that. It's a spiritual death. Now, Paul says that we all have been led astray. And just like we talked about in our last series, Unstuck, we're led astray by, by three things primarily because of sin. First is we're led astray by our own, what the Bible calls our flesh. That is, you have a deep desire for something, a lot of times that it's wrong, but you want it so bad. You ever had that? Yeah. In fact, most of the time, you didn't want it until it was wrong. You ever notice that? It's kind of like the speed limit. Like you might be, really good to go 60. Because it goes 70, you're like, well, I got to go at least 80. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, there's a part where you're like, I, I just got to go above. And oftentimes it's like above what's needed and what's good, we want more. So the flesh, our, our own sin, our own desires, that's how we're led astray in sin. But then Paul also says that we're led astray by the course of this world. That's another source of sin, and that is the values, the system, the culture of our world that's going in a current and in a stream and in a direction away from the ways of God. This is why when you watch a movie, sometimes you're like, man, they don't make movies that are like hopeful anymore. There's not really a movie that, that has like truth where like the good guy wins or the bad guy doesn't. You ever notice that? It's like you start rooting for the bad guy. You ever done that in a movie? You feel awful? Done that before? You're like, this is twisted. And part of it's like the culture is trying to figure out how something spiritually dead can be made alive, and they have all these ways to try to figure it out. And that current in our world and in the culture is, is very strong. And so what Paul is saying is when you're dead spiritually, you're led astray repeatedly by your own desires and your sin. You're also led away by the world that's leading you away from the ways of God. And then he goes on and he talks about a final way. So in this Ephesians chapter two, you can find really the three sources of our problems, our sin, the course of this world. And then he describes something even more supernatural. We're following the course of this world, which is following what it says, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. What is this referring to? It's referring to the devil, Satan. Now, what's interesting in our culture is there's actually a big push for supernatural understanding. 
That's why there's so many movies about exorcism. Have you noticed that? There's this thing of like this evil and supernatural and these powers that people are so uh, you know, interested in or fascinated in. And what the scripture's saying is actually there's something more real than you know. And that is Satan wants to lead you away from the ways of God. And how could that be? Well, because he's doing it with a whole group of people. That is this world. And then how does that work? Because it appeals to my own sin. And so Paul is saying, like, in your deafness, spiritually, you're completely led astray. And you fool yourself, and the world fools you, and then ultimately you have the father of lies, Satan, who wants to deceive you and wants to take you out. This is very important for understanding our problems. Because when people say, well, where are our problems coming from? Well, it could come from me. Do you create problems for you? Absolutely. If you make a bad decision, there's a cost to that. But problems can also come from people. They cause problems. They could cause problems for you. They can cause problems for me. Just gather as a family in a holiday, and you see it coming together, right? And even greater in our culture and in, in our world. And then you see it also with the enemy himself. And so what Paul is doing is he, he doesn't want us to be misinformed. He doesn't want us to think that the problem isn't that deep or it's not that much. He actually wants us to see like this problem is real and we all are infected by it. We're all born into a broken, sinful world. Now, if you knew church, isn't this like that just prototypical? The pastor's like, you're broken, you're a sinner, like, right? But again, we have to face the reality because in our culture right now, everyone's trying to figure out why everything's so screwed up. Paul, in Ephesians 2, is explaining why. Because we are dead spiritually. No matter how much you try to improve or fix, you're still dead. And so that's being led astray. And then this leads to rebellion. And then he talks about these passions of your desires. That's the lust, wanting the things that you shouldn't want. And then he talks about the wrath. And if you notice the text, it's not just you experience wrath, but we're just described as the sons of wrath. Very interesting. Think about last week. God's adopted us. He's adopted us as sinners, spiritually dead. Well, think about the family that we're in. In our sin and spiritually dead, we're a part of a family of wrath, destruction, pain, suffering. And then that leads to striving to want to improve, striving to want to get ahead, striving to make ourselves better. And you see this later in the chapter. So all of this is, is our is our problem. And it's a problem that we, we face within ourselves. The shame, the guilt, the pain, people-pleasing, pride. We have a little, do we have some background music going on? Oh, no, no worries. I, I thought it was us. I was about to do a little scat for you guys. I want to talk just briefly about how the enemy, Satan, and our world, and ourself, has led us to a place in our culture where we are where we are. But I just want to take a couple minutes to give you a greater context. If you're younger, uh, this can also help you know uh, what you're learning in school. This can also help you see uh, where you're headed and, and an understanding kind of where we are as, as a culture. So for hundreds of years, we have actually been working as a people to try to figure out how to get to the place where God wants us without God. Meaning we want purpose, we want meaning, but we don't want to turn to him. This is a greater context. We have a creator who's made us, but we want to disregard him. We, we don't want anything to do with him, but yet we still want the purpose, we still want the plan, we want his promises, but yet nothing to do with him. And I want to talk a little bit about how this is kind of played out in, in our culture. Uh, 1600 to 1800s, 
we had the period called the Enlightenment. You guys remember this from school? The Enlightenment. It sounds so promising. In fact, that was part of Paul's prayer, that our hearts would be what? Enlightened. And as mankind, we said, you know what? We don't need God to enlighten our hearts. We're humans with an intelligent mind, which is true. We're going to enlighten ourselves. And so we had a period of the enlightenment, which basically meant reason, not faith, was needed in life. Reason, understanding without faith is, is really what, what helps you. This was a 200-year period where just this enlightenment and the Bible became something that was spiritual but not intellectual. And I believe part of the enlightenment, as humans got bigger and smarter and greater in our understanding, we also lost it. Because the more that we were enlightened and saw the Bible and God as something that couldn't really apply to all of life, we actually got less wise. So the irony of the enlightenment is as we pushed God out, we filled it with more of ourselves. And what Paul is saying is, when you're dead, the fruit of death is what? Death. That was like a total trick question. You have no idea. And so you're like, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say anything. I didn't even know what the answer was until I said it, right? But if you're dead, like the only fruit of death is death. Nothing comes from it, correct? So the more enlightened we are, we're still spiritually dead. So how enlightened are we? And the enlightenment led to Darwinism, evolution, and that is that life and development exists without God. So it's a further step. Not only is the Bible not really intellectual, it's not about reason, but we exist without God. We don't need God. And we come up with alternate reasons for how we are here. There was no creator. And the Bible can't say anything about science and how the universe operates. This was mid to late 1800s. The reason I want to describe this is this is part of being led by that prince of the power of the air. It leads us astray. Now, am I saying that science is wrong? No. But at the point where science and the scriptures or intellect and the scriptures and God, as soon as we compartmentalize that and said the Bible can speak to this but not to this, it's the opposite of the enlightenment. We got unwise. Then Freud came in the early 1900s, psychology and psychiatry defined what human life ought to look, to look like and be like. So the idea is if you really want to learn who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to be, not only do you not need God, but, but there's this science of psychology and understanding the human psyche and mental health, that will define you. You don't need the scriptures to do that. In fact, you don't need God to do that. The Christian worldview, beginning in the 1900s, and then just keep building and building, it, it became discarded. So the idea was church, this, it's good for church. Your Christian faith is good for church. The scriptures are good for matters related to salvation. But related to your life and what you're really dealing with, can't help you. Young people, this is what they're telling you in school. And parents, you have a real opportunity to help your kids understand that the God of the scriptures and the scriptures themselves have authority. It's the opposite. They actually can speak to who you should be and how you should act. The reason this is so important is because sometimes we don't realize that we have the fruit of all these things in our culture and they're not coming from the root of Jesus. They're coming from some really dangerous places that have no authority to God in his ways. And it's impacted. It's impacted us for generations. If you were born in the 1900s, it's impacted you. And so our role as a church is not to just walk, like, yeah, God can't really speak to that and God really can't speak to that. And you know what? He can't, well, God can speak to this hour that we're here. No, in fact, God can speak to every single area of your life if you let him. And he will. And that's what his word is for. And this has led to more relativism, 
relativism over the years where everyone chooses their own morality. Humanism, independence, you can be your best self. Well, how do you know? Well, you just decide. This led to materialism. You strive to gain more and more. You get filled. And what Ephesians 2, what Paul is doing is, in God's word, is everything that we are and have come up with, God knew. There's no science or philosophy or worldview that God didn't know would be. That's why it's very important to understand the eternal God that has always been. What that means is there's nothing that surprises God. So God's word speaks to us here and now, even if some of the things didn't exist when God's word was written. Why? Because this is the human existence and condition that's spiritual in nature that impacts all of life. And so when Paul is describing how we're dead, he's really saying that there's no limits on morality because when you're dead, there are no limits. People do whatever they want. And that's really where we're at in today's world. There's no limit on morality and there's no limit on identity. People can be whatever they want. You're not who God told you you are. You're not God created you to be. You are whoever you want to be. Now, that actually sounds promising. That's like a movie. I just wrote a plot. Be whoever you want. Reach for the stars. Dream. Believe in your heart. But is there any boundary to that? Well, in the scriptures, if you're dead and you have no understanding, then there are no limits. So God's word is speaking to to us today. It's speaking to what we see. It's diagnosing the problem. And it is a great problem. I'm overwhelmed by my own sin. Just like I'm sure you're overwhelmed at times by the things that you do, the things that you say. Have you ever said something? You're like, I can't believe I said that. And you surprised yourself? That's when you know you're a sinner, right? Right? But what Paul's doing is this is not to put judgment on us that we beat ourselves up. This is not to make you feel bad. This is not to make you stress. Anyone's like stressed out already. You're like kind of, can we like get back to singing? I'm a little stressed. It's like the anxiety's risen. But, but again, there's a great problem. But if you don't understand the depths of the problem, you can't understand the depths of the solution. And if you don't understand the depths of the problem, you don't know what the battle is going on. And so Paul's like, look, there's something in you that's leading you astray. There's something in this world that's leading you astray. And then there's Satan himself who wants to take you out. He wants to lie to you. He wants to deceive you. And there's no one that's safe. And we're all infected and we're all broken and we're all sinners. So have a great week. You're dismissed. That's three verses, okay? But check this out, how deep this problem. All of these things are true, but let's go on to God's greater solution, verses four through nine. But God, I love these two words, but God. The depths of your problem, the depths of your sin, the brokenness of our world, the enemy who's trying to take us out, lead us astray, lie to us, deceive us, squash us and kill us, but God, there's hope. That's right. There's hope. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So Paul's just saying, it got really good, but God, yes, mercy, but don't forget, you're dead. He just wants you to get just the depths of it. And he's saying, you didn't do anything Why? Because you're dead. You couldn't earn his favor. Why? Because you're dead. Couldn't do it. And he reminds you, you're dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Hallelujah. By grace, you have been saved. Well, how could that be? Well, you can't earn grace if you're dead. Actually, could you go back? I don't think I finished that. By grace you've been saved, verse six, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that 
in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I want to stop real, really quick. If you look at this, this passage, the story completely shifts. The darkness is so dark you can't see. And the death is so real that there is no breath in us. There's no hope. This is the problem with our world. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. This is the hope for the entire world from the beginning to the end. The script does not ever change. It doesn't need to shift. It doesn't need to adjust. Because those first two words, but God, the creator, the almighty one. And then Paul goes on to describe him. If you go, there's, I think I got another chart that compares our problem and our solution. Let's put that up there. I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. So our deep problem now, Ephesians chapter two is a chapter of opposites. And that's what I like. It just, it feels like you're getting hit with your problems and then you're getting like lifted by Jesus' goodness. Hit with your problems and then lifted by Jesus. And that keeps on happening. So our deep problem, death, like that just goes without saying, like that is a deep problem, right? But then what do we get? Life. But God made us what? Alive. It's amazing. We're led astray by the flesh, our sin, by the world, and by Satan. But we can experience unity with Christ. So that the, the darkness and the depths of our sin. And then if you read Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, how many times does it talk about together with Christ, unity with Christ, alone, separated, and then he brings you up out of the death that you and I experience. Children of wrath, instead we're given mercy. Striving, we get grace. We're far from God, we're cut off, and we're close. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we have a great problem, each and every one of us, and we deserve it because of sin. But verses 4 through 8 and 9 and 10 give us great hope. Mercy is compassion. Love is this agape love. It's like a father who laid down his life, sacrifice, and God did. He laid down his son for us. We're alive because Jesus is alive. So if you think about death, and we talked about this before, but the penalty of sin in the scriptures is death. But if you're dead, how do you pay for sin? You can't. You can't pay for anything, right? So think about what Christ did and why it's so significant. Because Christ died for sin. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. So Christ died for your sin. He died for my sin. He was buried in a real tomb, in a real place, in a real time. But then on the third day, he rose again. He took the sin and the death, but he rose again, and his life and resurrection are now how death is conquered. The dead can't pay for anything, but Christ paid in full, and he conquered that death. He rose again, and we can experience unity with him. Now, today's sermon is called Rooted in Grace. And this is just my intro. No, just kidding, just kidding. Some of you are like, that's pretty true. Um, grace is unmerited favor. I don't know if you knew that, but that's what grace is. It means uh, that feeling like, oh, I, you don't have to do that. If anyone's ever blessed you with something, you kind of feel bad. Maybe somebody gave you like some money to help you and you're just like, oh, I feel kind of dumb. I don't want that help, but I'll take it because I need it. But you're kind of like, oh, it's, just, it's hard for people to help you. You ever had that feeling? Well, grace is like I, can't, like, I can't feel bad because there's nothing I can do. I don't have anything worth the gift that I've been given. Like there's no way I can try to pay and reciprocate to Christ what he gave to me. It's totally unmerited favor. It's kindness and it's blessing. It's 100% grace. 
In verse 8, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. The reason death is conquered, the reason that you're alive, the reason you can be lifted up in the heavenly places is 100% grace. And this is not your own doing. This is not your own striving. This isn't your own enlightenment. This isn't trying to prove your worth. This isn't trying to understand things without God. It's 100% grace. It's not your own doing. It's the gift, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. I want to close out looking at what, what this means for us. First off, I hope that this overwhelms you. Because if this doesn't overwhelm us, nothing will. To realize the depths of our sin and our problems and to know that God sent his son so that those dead could be made alive. It's the greatest news we will ever hear for all of eternity. There's nothing that gets greater than that. And the reason I know that is because I know, again, not even fully, but I know the depths of my sin. God knows fully the true depths. But I have experienced the depths of his mercy. And I want to encourage you. I know there are some of you here that are feeling the wrath of your sin. You feel the weight of your shame. And there's something in, the, in you that just makes you want to keep paying. That could be within you. That could be the enemy trying to accuse you. That could be people in your life keep pressuring you. But it's never too late to humbly come before God and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I accept your grace. And when you do that, you actually move from death to life. And then you begin this journey of giving your life over to him, every aspect. And he's gonna show you things that you need to change. And he's gonna show you things that you need to grow in. He's gonna show you things that you need to work on. And you're gonna get convicted of your sin. And that's not a sign that you're dead. What it is is a sign that you're alive. God's doing a work in your heart. He wants to change you. He wants to put you in a community of people where you don't have to run anymore, where you can be known and accepted and loved. That's what he wants to do. But God, he wants to change the script of your life. But I want to spend just a couple moments talking about what this means for us, for all of us. And I think as I read chapter two, the rest of it, there's two words that keep coming to my mind, and it's an experience and an extension. We have to experience and we have to extend. And what do we need to experience? We need to experience God's grace. And we need to extend it to others. So just think of those two words. Everything that Paul's talked about, our problems, our death, the chance of being resurrected by Christ spiritually because of what he did, we can experience that life every day. And once we experience it, we can extend it. Uh, if you have your, your journal, or I think it's up here on the screen, two, seven. This is phenomenal. It says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So verse five, we were dead. We were made alive by grace. Verse six, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. The isolation in our death, we're now raised up. We're raised to life. But notice verse 7. What's the purpose? So that in the coming ages, the coming ages means from the moment you decide to give your life to Jesus Christ, surrender and say, I am a sinner and I accept your free gift of grace. Will you forgive me? And will you fill me with your grace? The moment you've done that, the coming ages of your eternity is now right before you. You're stepping into forever in a relationship with God. So what Paul is saying is, so that in the coming ages, from that moment you decide to follow Jesus, 
to forever he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I was thinking about this all week and I kept getting blown away by how much I don't understand this in reality in my life. Because I keep trying to like make God happy through just making sure I, I do what he says or stay in line. And, and God says like, it was never about you. Why? Chapter two, verse one, you're dead. But what I want to do, because I love you and because I accept you, I want to show you my kindness and the treasures of my grace that you'll never get to fully measure. And then each morning, I'm just like, well, how is God unhappy with me? How am I not measuring up? How am I not doing what I'm supposed to do? I realize, like, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And it's death pressure. It's not the life that Jesus has. It doesn't mean that we don't deal with sin. We have to. It doesn't mean that we, we need to live a different life. We have to. But what it means is what Jesus wants to do primarily is, is to show you the richness of his kindness. And I just realized how, like, I don't want to accept that. You know why? Because I still want to be good enough. I still want to act like I have it all together. I still want to fight for my own will and my own independence to do what I want. And it's backwards. You can't earn it. You can't do anything. It's the richness of the kindness of God Almighty through his son, Jesus. That is what it's all about. The reminder that you can't ever be good enough. And you can't earn it. You can't fake it. And you can't try to appear like you have it all together. But because of Jesus, God will do a work in you where the scales of death will be shed and you'll come to life. You guys heard about this new telescope that they discovered? It's called the Segway. You, you heard of it? Some of you? In 1990, they came up with this telescope called, I think it was the, the Huddle. And here's a picture of the 1990 telescope. I think we have it on here. Can you see it? Oh, we don't have it. Man, guys, it was going to be so awesome. <laughs> it's going to change your life. No. Basically, in 1990, we came, there was this telescope developed, and it was amazing. And they began to see the solar system and stars and planets that they'd never seen before. Well, in 2021 and in recent images, there's a new telescope that's like replaced the 1990 version. And because of that, we now can see things that we never saw before, even with the 1990 telescope. And hearing me say it, it just, it's really lame, you know? But... The point is, is what Paul is saying is, you need to see things that you can't see, that your eyes can't fathom, that you can't bring into focus. And it's like seeing with this new telescope, it's like seeing with the lens for the first time. You're going to see the kindness and the grace. It's going to show you things you've never seen. And that makes complete sense. Why? Because you can't see when you're dead. But when you're alive, you see for the first time. And that's what Paul's saying. He wants you to experience God wants us to experience the riches of his grace and kindness that, that we're, we're accepted, that he loves us. And so I thought practically, what does this mean to experience the grace of God? The first is every day, if you did these things, this would help you experience the grace of God. First, surrender your day to God. When you wake up today, say, God, I accept and live in your grace today. I surrender my day to you. Would that make a difference in how your day starts? Pastor, do I do that before coffee or after? Whatever you need to do, okay? But surrender your day. If you surrender your day, you realize the predicament of your life. Thank him for his mercy, which is new today. Surrender your day. Thank him for your mercy. When you sin, confess it. 
dead can't confess, but the living can. So what an opportunity if you sin and God convicts you of your sin and you mess up. God knows, you know. Other people know if you've sinned against them. Confess it. Bring that into the light. Because we're no longer dead, we're alive. And God has given us the grace to deal with our sin. So when you sin, confess it, ask for forgiveness, and move on. When you keep beating yourself up, in the name of Jesus, stop. Say, God, I still feel guilty, still feel like I'm shamed for the sin. And you say, in the name of Jesus, God, will you take the shame away? In your name I pray, amen. So confess it, ask for forgiveness, and move on. When you beat yourself up, confess it and accept God's grace. When you get into fear of man or people-pleasing, you start wondering what people think about you and how you want to appear a certain way and how you want to make sure you put your best foot forward. Remind yourself how God sees you. He loves you and he accepts you. He wants to pour his immeasurable kindness and grace to you. Doesn't mean... He's not going to do a work in you, and you're not going to need to change. But it does mean that you can't change because of what people say. You change because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness, not our own. Each day, fight the battle to try to prove your own worth and how you're better or worse than you should be. That's how you can experience God's grace. Does that make sense? The reason I say this, I think all of us feel it, right? Like we, we do that. Like you're a parent and you just, you're not good enough as a parent. You feel it and you think your kids hate you. And as a kid, you think your parents hate you and you, you feel like you're failing and all of these things are happening all the time. And we don't talk about it a lot, but it's a weight that just keeps dragging us back to death. But we're made alive. We can't live like that. And again, if, if you've never decided to follow Jesus and you're stuck in that, as a church, we want to help you. We want to lead you to the life found in Jesus. And then finally, we must be rooted in God's grace to extend it. So that's the experience. We have to experience his grace every day. It doesn't mean that we don't have it and we need to re-experience it. It means that we forget it. And that's why we have to surrender each day. That's why we have to confess our sin. That's why we have to thank him for his mercies because we forget. The whole scriptures is like an account of God's people forgetting his things and his promises and his ways. And so when you do those things and you experience God's grace, it's, it's remembering. And then finally, we can extend. Now, verse 10 kind of blows your mind given everything Paul's talked about. And he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that really interesting? Everything is about grace, 100% grace. Because you're spiritually dead, you need God's help. You need him to resurrect your life. And then you experience his grace. In verse seven, you experience the immeasurable richness of his kindness and grace toward us. And then verse 10 says, and then he does a work in you that will be a part of changing the world. It's 100% grace. And then he creates us as trophies of his grace, of these masterpieces, of something, a work that he has done, not a work that we have done, and he uses us in the world. Now, if you take this literally, which I do, it says we're his workmanship, we're his trophy of grace, something that was dead that's made alive, something that it had no purpose that now does, something that had no love and experienced the love of God, compassion and mercy, the fullness of it were his trophy, were his masterpiece, something that was not to something he created. He did the work. And then he does the work. And then notice, it was created in Christ Jesus for good work. So he does the work in us, and now he wants this work to flow out of us. We're actually gonna do something in this world that will make a difference because of the work that he's done. And then notice, which God prepared beforehand from his vantage point of eternity. 
He's decided you will live in this moment, in this time, connected to the family you're in, in this situation, for you to be a part of extending his grace to the world. If you don't know how beautiful this is, how could any man create and define our problem and the solution by ourselves? This is enlightenment. All we've known is death. But then we're made alive. We're these creations of his grace and have an opportunity to extend grace to others. So I was thinking in my own life, like how do I do that? How do I extend grace? And I'm gonna invite the band to come up because we're gonna close out our service. But as they come up, here's some ways that you can extend grace to others. Listen to someone and identify with them. Don't try to fix or correct them. Men, I'm talking to you. Listen to people in your life. Listen to your wives, listen to your kids, listen to your coworkers, listen to your boss, listen to your employees. Like, just listen. Women, you, you do this better than us for the most part. But if you want to extend grace to somebody, listen to them. See where they are. Feel what they feel. And that, that gives grace to people. Empathize. Uh, be patient. You want to be gracious, be patient with people. It's hard to be patient in an instant world. You ever find yourself waiting at a restaurant or doing something, you're like, this is taking too long. They need to hire more staff. You ever said that in a place? They, they're understaffed. Like, you're now an HR for that company, you know? Prime is three days instead of two. But I'm, I'm returning it just out of spite. But, but be patient. Why? Because God's patient with us. Think the best, not the worst. Think the best about people. Don't think the worst. That's how you extend grace. When wronged, forgive. That's literally how you extend grace. When somebody wrongs you, forgive them as Christ has forgiven us. You struggle with anyone in your life? You just, you're bothered by them? You don't like them. These can all be rhetorical. But pray for them. Pray for someone you struggle with. You're extending God's grace to them. Uh, pray for someone you know is hurting. And then finally, I, these are just, I was thinking in my own life. Do something you don't want to do for someone this week. Do something you don't want to do for somebody this week. That's grace. So our prayer as a church, as we're rooted in grace, is that God will help us experience it. And as we experience it, and we realize it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with us, that we can be a part of extending it, experience and extending. In closing, if you haven't gotten this, I encourage you to get it, bring it back next week. On your own this week, read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Ask God to blow you away by the truth of the Scripture. That's the first next step. And the second is extend grace to someone this week. And I encourage you, don't leave it general. Write their name down. Put it on your calendar. Extend grace to somebody this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word which overwhelms us, which diagnoses us, which shows us everything going on. God, we admit and confess our sin. I pray if there's anyone here that this has a sin that they've not confessed, that they will do that right now before you. We confess our sin, we admit our brokenness, And we thank you that despite our spiritual death, God, you have made us alive.
and you took the initiative and you sent your son Jesus to die for our sin, to pay the price of the penalty that we could not pay ourselves. So God, we can't repay you, but we do want to experience your grace. And so I just pray if there's anybody here that's never chosen to follow you, they're just holding on, and they're just stuck in the death zone, that you will raise them to life this morning by the power of your son's Jesus' name, that you will raise them to life, you will forgive them of their sin as they confess it, and that they will begin their eternal journey with you by grace and faith alone. As we experience this grace, show us somebody in our life this week that we can extend it to. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.